Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel and ITL Coaching and Performance. This is George. Patrick and I appreciate your downloading us once again. This week is our race report week. Patrick and I have spent the bulk of 2018 pointing towards late-year marathons. Uh, For me, it was the Philadelphia Marathon, which was three weeks ago, and for Patrick, it was the California International Marathon, which was one week ago. Uh, We both had good races, and today we're going to be talking a little about each one of those races. Uh, When you tune in next week, we're going to be having a conversation about the Vaporfly 4%. Uh, We both raced in the Vaporfly 4% Nike shoe, uh, and we both have some opinions as to whether it lives up to the hype. So be sure to tune in next week for that. But for now, this week, we're going to be talking about Philadelphia and CIM. Let's get on with the show. everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel and ITL Coaching and Performance. This is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. Patrick is back in our recording studios, if you want to call them that here. So we've had you on the phone a lot, Patrick. It's actually good to have you back in the room. It is good to be here. <laughs> We're looking at the giant bookshelf of running books that uh, you've read over the years, and it always kind of sets the right tone for us recording. Right, right. Very good. Yeah, there's a lot of civil rights books as well. Maybe we should talk more about civil rights, but um, <laughs> so, so we'll see if we can weave that in. Uh, uh, this week is, is the week that we talk about our marathons. So mm-hmm. you ran the... California International Marathon a week ago. I ran the Philadelphia Marathon now three weeks ago. Um, and uh, you'll recall that actually the first time Patrick came on to the, the podcast was when he and I both ran the Chicago Marathon together last year. Um, and and I had a bad race. You had a good race. Um, and uh, and so we kind of came on and talked about our different races and, and what went wrong and what went right and all that sort of thing. Um, this time, we're kind of doing something similar. We're, we're kind of giving our race reports, interviewing each other about our races, if you will. Um, happily, I can say that we both had good races. Yeah. Um, it and, makes this uh, podcast a little bit more fun. Yeah, doesn't it? Um, and, uh, but, but we had two different races in, in mm-hmm. that I ran in Philadelphia, and of course, you ran in California. So yeah, very good. So we're going to start off talking about Philadelphia, right? Absolutely. You ran first. So we get to talk about you first. Yes. Yes, I did. That was all part of the plan. Um, now, actually, the plan was that, so my sister, um, my sister is two years older than me. She was two years ahead of me in school. Um, and my sister started the cross-country team at Marietta High School back in the day. Um, there was no women's cross-country team, no girls' cross-country team, and she started it. Now, it's worth mentioning that the Marietta High School cross-country, girls' cross-country team, defended their state championship in the largest classification in Georgia this year in cross-country. Um, and so this... This program that was literally started by my sister is now a two-time defending champion. So pretty cool. Um, um, but anyway, so so my sister um, uh, grew up, got a master's in Spanish literature, worked for CNN for a while. Now she's an attorney. She uh, got her JD and is now an attorney. And she is um, uh, still, though, an influence in my life. And, and uh, she's run a couple of marathons. And so last year we ran a half marathon together. And this year we said, well, let's try and figure out a marathon that we want to run together. Um, and, and she chose a Philadelphia marathon among various other choices. Um, she lives in Northern Virginia, so it was a good chance for us to, it was, it was driving distance for her. Uh, she was able to bring her whole family and, uh, and, and, 
we didn't train together. We didn't race together, but, but we traded a lot of messages and, and all that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. so this was always on the radar. I signed up literally the first weekend that it was open, uh, way back in like January, um, with the intention of my sister and I running it. And we did, and we both ran well. So we both met our goals. Good. You know, it's always interesting when you hear somebody who is brought into a race by a, a friend, a family, a coworker, um, because sometimes when we talk about like racing times and like oh this is a great venue for for a race like I sh- run Chicago because it's flat run New York because it's exciting etc sometimes it's about the people we're running with and just trying to be with them yeah and and run something that they they want to run like I can tell you I have a lot of friends in my life who maybe aren't necessarily quote unquote runners you know they mm-hmm. might run on a treadmill once or twice a week so we do a lot of fun five Ks around Atlanta where it's like you win free Hawks tickets or something at the mm-hmm. end, you know, one of those ATC right. events. So it sounds like it was a little bit like that with, with you and your sister where you wanted to, you know, it was almost, uh, it was a race, but it was also a way to kind of reconnect with her. I shouldn't even say reconnect, but to kind of strengthen your connection and have yeah. something to, to yeah. share and bond over. Yeah, it, and it gave me an excuse to text her, you know, I mean, <laughs> and vice versa, you <laughs> yeah. know, and, and, and it was fun. And it, and it's cool having somebody who, who uh, you, you can lean on and check in, all right, you know, 16 weeks to go, all right, 10 weeks to go, you know, how's mm-hmm. it going? Um, and, and I could write to her and say, okay, here's kind of what's going on with me, and here's how I'm doing, tell me how you're doing. And she would do the same with me. And that's cool. And, and even though our training was taking very different forms because we had really different goals, um, and, and we have different lives. I mean, she has, she has three kids, all of whom are older than mine. And, and she works for the justice department and, and she lives in Northern Virginia. So it's, so it's a different weather challenge and stuff like that as well. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it, it was just a much different situation. Um, but, but we were able to kind of trade notes and talk about stuff. And I shared with her some of the research that we had talked about on the podcast, you know, and things like that. So, um, <laughs> she's so, like, so, thanks George. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to sleep more. I don't care what your podcast buddy says. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it was good. Um, and so, so yeah, I guess if we're going to start off by talking about Philadelphia, I, that's obviously what I need to say first is that a big part of it for me and a big part of why it was good is because I got to share it with my sister. Um, and so, you know, looking back on the last couple of years, I had a marathon that went well, I had New York, and then I had a marathon that didn't go so well, Chicago. Um, and so one of the big things I really wanted to take away from those two builds and change about my Philadelphia build is I wanted to try and make it less rigid. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a schedule. I wasn't just like, oh, day to day. Oh, what do I feel like doing today? I mean, I would write a schedule and I was always writing it out two or three weeks in advance like I do for most of the athletes that I coach. Um, but I changed it as I needed to change it. Um, and as something struck me or if I wanted to do a slightly different workout than what I had in mind or if I felt better or worse on a particular day, I, I would change up the, the, the workout as need be. Um, and I think that's, that's a giant mistake I made in my build for Chicago is that I wrote the schedule and I was like, I got to run this schedule. And I was injured and I was still trying to stick to the schedule despite the fact that mm-hmm. I was really injured. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that just made things worse. Um, and then I didn't get too bogged down in the numbers either. Um, I did a lot of workouts like at CrossFit and I did one at Orange Theory and stuff like that. And those aren't even really measured and I wasn't even really timing them, you know, and stuff like that. Um, and, and I had a general idea of what I wanted to run. Um, you know, I, I said I wanted to run anywhere from 237 to 243 um, and and just kind of wanted to get in the race and to see how it went. But I, but I wasn't like really, really rigid about what I wanted to run or anything like, like that. Um, I wanted to race more. That was a part of something I'd learned from Chicago that I hadn't raced enough going into that. And so I signed up for, for a tune-up race, the Tulsa 15K in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, three weeks out, um, which happened to be the, the USATF Masters Road 15K Championship as well, which was cool. So I got to run that with the Atlanta Track Club. Um, 
and um and and yeah i mean that's just kind of how i approached it um uh two weeks out i did a trail half as a fatigued fast finish long run uh, i did a really really difficult bike workout the day beforehand um and then just ran this, the back half of it as hard as i could basically uh, and that was super hard actually doing that on a trail was made for a much difficult thing um i was really diligent about my nighttime routine as far as like stretching and my lacrosse ball uh, i had a lot of really good cycling along the way um wasn't so rigid about my diet as I have been in the past. I mean, I was still obviously paying close attention to what I was eating. Um, I did a lot of runs in like the 110 to 120 range, like 70 to 80 minute range, like knowing that right. that's like such a rich range for, for endurance. Yeah. I did a lot of runs right in that range. Yeah, and, and frequent listeners of the podcast know we kind of call that the magic medium long run. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that 110 to 120, if you don't know what to do, or if you can only run one workout over and over again, do that. That's the one to just do over and yeah. over. Yeah. I mean, and, and so I did, I did, um, I did that a lot more often. I did a lot more of just sort of medium long runs. Um, and I did long runs of course. Um, but, but a lot of medium long runs. Um, I did the blue Ridge relay, which was 10 weeks out, which was about 40 miles worth of running over 24 hours. I did it on, on a six person team. Um, I did that. And a lot of that was kind of pushing the pace a little, Mm-hmm. Um, so, so not going as hard as I could, but at least not the whole time, but kind of pushing the pace some. Um, and I think that was probably really good training about 10 weeks out to have sort of an ultra experience. Um, mm-hmm. but again, not getting like super hardcore about it. Um, and just trying to stay relaxed throughout the whole thing. So you and I did a workout together, um, uh, about four and a half weeks out. Um, and we were at the river and we did the workout that you wanted to do. And it was, it was seven times a half mile. And we said basically seven seven times a half mile at half marathon speed and marathon speed, like mm-hmm. going back and forth. Yeah. Um, and so seven miles total, a seven mile run and alternating between those two paces. And you and I ended up going a lot faster than we thought we were going to. And we were both pretty fired up after that workout. And, and I went so much faster than I thought I was going to. And I realized that that was actually the first time that I had actually run and measured a distance in a workout since uh, like May. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was and this was October, right? Um, and this uh, is like one of our final hard workouts yeah. before uh, the race. Yeah, and it was a huge confidence builder because because marathon pace, which we ran for the first couple of repeats before we sped up, um, felt like just a jog. And then I then I went out a week and a half later and I did the Tulsa Tulsa 15k. I did two minutes faster than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. I ran I ran uh, fit right at 51 flat for for, mm-hmm. for 15k. Finished fourth. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my goal had been top 10 and 53 minutes and I ran 51 minutes and t- finished fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so super excited about that. Um, and so then have a good taper. I don't get sick. I, I was diligent about sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good. So, good. so yeah, the, 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 I told a few people that the, the three big studies that you mentioned having to do with sleep that I really feel like I applied this time. One of them had to do with that said that basically what mattered was quantity period. Right. Yeah. Like all the other stuff about, oh, well, you need to 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 have music playing or it needs to be really dark or whatever. No, no it's just quantity. That's the most important thing. Um, number two, that that getting at least 20 minutes actually helps just as, as little as 20 minutes more actually helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number three, and probably the one that was most important um, was the one about how it matters more to get sleep about a month out than it does a week out. And so with a month to go, I really started trying to pay more attention and try start trying to sleep a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um and so, and so that was good too. So all of those things I kind of applied together. Um, so taper goes well, go into the race. And like I said, the goal was 
237 to 243 and I end up running 237. <laughs> That's fantastic. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's and and I knew from the opening that I was I was going to be able to to run well. So Philadelphia, cool. Have you you haven't run Philadelphia? I have not, but I want to kind of backtrack a bit too and and add some points to to, to the story you just told us, yeah. or the narrative you just kind of added to. So first of all, run. You know, we run together several times a week, um, and at the very least, we do all of our long runs together. And to kind of add to your point, I remember the week of the race. All of a sudden, someone asked me, he "said Well, what is George going to run?" And I said, "I have no idea. We haven't talked about it. He hasn't mentioned it." He hasn't said what his goal is. And it, it just all of a sudden hit me. You took a very much a hands-off approach mm-hmm. or maybe much more of a process-oriented approach and a field-based approach to your training. Yeah. Instead of saying, I want to run a 237, mm-hmm. you were almost kind of saying, today, this is what's best for me on this day. And then it built up to that final you know, hard workout where you said, okay, based on this hard workout, I think I can do this. Yeah. And you almost didn't even reveal your, a time to me until the week of when I asked and kind of poked and prodded. Yeah. And even then you said, I'm going to run by feel and it's going to be between 237 and 243, which is a relatively big range. Yeah. No, for real. I mean, sure. It's it's six six minute pace is 615 pace. Mm-hmm. And and if anybody, so if anybody asked me what I was going to run, I, I said, ah, oh, well, we'll kind of see what the day brings me because because I was determined that that was my attitude. Yeah. Uh, and it was. Um. If anybody really pressed me on it, I, I would say I'm gonna try and sneak under 240. That was mm-hmm. kind of my line, and 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 that was true. Like anything that started with a 230 something, I, I was I was determined to be happy with that. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be six minute pace, but if it wasn't gonna be, that was okay. Um, just because I wanted to do what the day gave me. Now, when I woke up that morning, it was 35 degrees, <laughs> <laughs> and so and so you know, kind of keeping that in mind, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, and so I ended up spending a lot of time over the course of that last week. Uh, knowing what the forecast was and knowing there was no wind, which I was fired up about. So no wind, no rain, but 35 degrees. And it was going to be 35 degrees pretty much from start to finish. Um, that changed like my clothing choices and stuff like that. I mean, I, I ended up wearing a shirt under my singlet. I ended up wearing arm warmers. I wore gloves. And I wore a hat mm-hmm. uh, in addition to wearing sunglasses. And so, so like that changed things, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I knew it would and it did, but I felt like I was actually pretty well dressed. I thought I was going to ditch the hat. And I got to about nine or ten miles, and it actually got colder during the race. The first forty-five minutes or so of the race, it started getting colder, um, and I was like, "I am not losing this hat. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like this hat is going to be staying with me throughout the race." It really would have taken away from the effect if you had like thrown the hat down as like a baller move, and then had to like turn around and pick it back up. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. Yeah, no, but that's what I had in mind was that the Lisa DeSisa move from New York City is that I was gonna like see somebody or maybe like see a photographer and throw it down then or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I definitely would have lost something. I would have had to stop and pick it back up again. Um, and so, so yeah, I ended up wearing it throughout. Um, uh, yeah, and it's it's funny to see like the pictures of myself crossing the finish line wearing a hat just because I don't I so rarely wear like knit hats. But you know, thirty five degrees, kind of necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. And now during the training, I, you know, we can continue to unpack this. Did you feel like running by feeling kind of taking a less rigid approach relieved some pressure? Oh, for sure. You know, so that maybe on a week to week basis, you didn't feel like, oh my gosh, I ran nine and a half miles instead of 10. I'm an underachiever. I didn't meet my goal for the day, you know, and it kind of prevented you from kind of spiraling out of control. I shouldn't yeah. even say spiraling out of control, but just kind of starting that downward trend yeah. in your No, I think spiraling mentality. out of control is probably a fair way to say it. Is that, that, you know, I had said when I was training for Chicago last year, that my mantra, my goal, um, and I borrowed this from Jared Ward, and um, who's you know pro marathoner, uh, Olympian, finished sixth in the Olympic marathon in 2016. Mm-hmm. Jared Ward said that his goal with any marathon is to always get as fit as he possibly can, mm-hmm. and then just run what he can on on race day. 
you right. know? And, and so that's what I kind of said, particularly as I do so much cross training, I'm like, all right, just get really, really fit. That's always kind of the goal. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I had said that I wanted to do that with Chicago, but, and I did get fit for Chicago. It's just that I was too bogged down in the numbers as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think I did a better job with that this time mm-hmm. that like I would go to a CrossFit workout day and it would involve like 400s, 300s, and 200s, and we'd be running them fast, and we'd be doing deadlifts in between and stuff like that, you know? And and I'd finish that, and then I'd run four or five miles afterwards, and I'd be like, that was a pretty good day. And I had no I, I had no way to quantify what I'd just done. You know, I'm not using mm-hmm. my GPS in the literally running in the parking lot of the CrossFit gym. Right. Like, I'm, not, I'm obviously not doing that. So I have no idea how fast I'm going. Um, but I'm putting in the effort, and I'm going hard. Um, and I didn't go to CrossFit all the time. I went probably seven or eight times throughout the course of this build over the course of... 10 weeks or so mm-hmm. um and um and but but it, but i was like i said i literally did not do a measured workout i did lots of workouts but no measured workouts um until you and i did that one four and a half weeks out mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and even that wasn't super measured i mean for, for those of you who aren't familiar with the river we're running on a gravel trail right and the gps is a little spiky there since you're right by the river um and we're on dirt right and, and you're on dirt um so that certainly adds to kind of your point that you, you very much were kind of just taking it by feeling just trying to get in the best shape you can yeah. each specific day rather yeah. than trying to hit a certain number. Yeah. And can I say too, like, I think everyone has fallen into that trap of being like, of being almost too number oriented. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's easy to do. I mean, I grew up collecting baseball cards and memorizing baseball stats and football stats mm-hmm. and kind of playing fantasy football. And so it can be easy to become very like, in becoming obsessed with the end product of the workout you know i ran this many miles i had this pace etc but it ends up being a disaster in the long run because you end up pushing a little too hard on your easy days you probably end up you know maybe even pushing a little too hard on your hard days although i think the bigger issue is that you know we end up running a 659 pace or a 559 pace or something like that rather than what you actually should be doing yeah you you always kind of like hover around the like milestone points um, well, I, I think it's easy to do in running because, you know, there's a Boston qualifying standard. Right. There's an Olympic trials qualifying standard. You know, I mean, there, there, there are numbers attached to it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so, so you want to say, oh, well, I'm run by feel, but you're not going to get, you know, a PR on feel. You know, and, and, and it's not like, oh, you felt great that day. Well, here, we're going to let you into Boston because you felt great. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? And so 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 there are numbers involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, 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 you know, you talk to other runners. OK, what are your PRs? You know, and they're all listed on Strava. I mean, so so those things matter. You know, I mean, it's 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 a, like you say, it's an easy track to fall into. But but every good race I've ever run. And 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 I said this to myself several times throughout the course of this build. Every good race I've ever run, I was focused on the process and not on the goal. And I went out and just ran how I felt, and was happily surprised by the result. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happened in Tulsa. I mean, and that's and that's happened so many other times throughout the course of my running career. Um, likewise, so many times throughout the course of my running career, I did what I did in Chicago. I got really really focused. I got to run this time. I got to run this split. I got to make sure I'm hitting the, these things along the way. And, and I underachieved and, and started this downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think everybody is better off this way, but I know that for myself, I am particularly better if I'm focused on how I feel and what the process is and, and building fitness and executing a smart race mm-hmm. as opposed to just getting really, really bogged down in what the numbers are. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, you don't need to, to PR on your neighborhood easy run route. Uh-huh. You know, that's kind of an easy trap to fall into. And I've done it myself where you maybe you have a good day at work or even a bad day and you almost want to take it out on your easy run. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's interesting stuff. Yeah, and, and, and just like, you know, no, nobody 
nobody gets a PR based on what their training schedule looks like. I mean, you 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 want to run a good. You you obviously want to fulfill your training schedule, but you know when you write it three weeks ahead of time, you you're not necessarily going to have a good race because you do exactly what it says. Yeah. You know, I mean, and so 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 being sort of flexible about that, I think, was super important for me. Mm-hmm. And and I would get to a particular day and say, you know what, this is not the right workout for me today, or my Achilles hurts more than than I really want it to be, and so I'm going to put off this run until tomorrow. I'm going to do a bike today instead. Mm-hmm. You know, or something else like that. Um, yeah. th- I did that a lot, um, and I think that was worthwhile. Yeah, and I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I almost suffer from a, a, a small derivative of, of FOMO syndrome <laughs> when I see maybe somebody else running good workouts on Strava, and I'm like, oh, I have to do that because yeah. they have similar PRs to me. Yeah. And then, I'm, and what I'll see is like, let's say you have a great run on Tuesday, you George Dard, and then Thursday's not so great, mm-hmm. and let's say you take the right approach and just kind of let it roll off your shoulders, shoulders, and then you're on to the next one. I may see that Tuesday great workout and say, all right, all my workouts have to be just like this, yeah. this or better, because we're on the same level. Yeah, good point. You know, and that's not how it works. You have to kind of take the ebb and the flow. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and when we tend to compare ourselves to other people, we don't compare it to their flow or their ebb right. or whatever the good one is. You know, we, we, we only try and compare, we try and compare our average to our peers' best. Exactly. And, and, and that doesn't work. Um, so get out there, bag check. Everybody, I, it's funny, so everybody that, that, that I talked to who had run the Philadelphia Marathon had nothing but really good things to say about the Philadelphia Marathon, okay. all these people. And then my sister, because she lives in nor- northern Virginia, she kept meeting people. Like, everybody she would run across had run it before. And so she was fired up, because it's so close by for them, right? So she would go to the running specialty store to, to buy you know another shirt or something like that, and the guy who sold her the shirt will have run it and would say it's his favorite marathon. There was only one person in my life who said that she didn't like the race. Um, and it's funny because in telling me that she didn't like the race, she said, well, at least there's a whole lot of Porta Johns at the start. And I was like, all right, cool. And so we're at the start. Um, we're getting ready to, 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 you know, go, you know, getting ready, staying warm, all that sort of thing. And there's this big line for these two Porta Johns. And I was like, no, we don't need to wait in line. There's more Porta Johns in this other place. And so we walk, you know, 50 feet down and there's all these Porta Johns and no lines. Mm-hmm. So that was actually really useful information. The one person who told me that she didn't like the Philadelphia Marathon gave me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, they have these warming tents where all these people are kind of huddled together because, you know, at that point, it's like 33 degrees. Um, I was wearing eight layers. <laughs> Not seven, but eight. That's yeah. the lucky number. I was wearing I was wearing eight layers. Um, and I raced. And mind you, I, I only stripped down. I raced in two layers. But, but, but yeah, six extra layers along the way. Uh, last layer that I took off was my training for Philadelphia, in training for the Philadelphia Marathon t-shirt that I bought when I registered. That was the last one I took off there because I was like, I'm not training anymore, so take it off, ditch it. But then it's a good size. There was... Um, uh, it's like 7,000, 8,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I was they, they put me in the front corral, which I was really glad that they did. And I kind of get there up in the front corral, and I take off and I, I take off all my clothes, and I'm kind of sort of standing there. And I was like, it's not jammed. It's not packed. And I was like, I can get closer to the front. And so I just kind of walk around the people in front of me and just pretty much walk up to about you know less than 10 feet off the front line. Um, so they fire the gun, and, and, and we start. And, and I was like, all right find just your rhythm find the pace you know just whatever the pace is just find it and then just kind of see where you are at the mile mark and i go through the mile it was 602 and i was like all right good day yeah. <laughs> that's always a good feeling exactly yeah because because i knew it's like I was, finding money in your pocket oh totally i mean it's it's because i was uh, it's because i knew i was running exactly what i needed to be running i felt pr- precisely the way that i needed to feel and i was like 602 perfect 
Very good. I was I was a little bit nervous about it at first because it wasn't until just before the mile mark that I actually passed the 245 pace group. Um, and clearly they were going out too fast. Um, mm-hmm. Beware of pacers. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so 602 through that first mile. S- next mile was like 604. Mm-hmm. The third mile was, was under six minutes. It was like 554 or something like that. And so I think it was at – I went through the three-mile mark right at 18 minutes mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and just kind of try to keep it right there at that six minute average it's kind of nice and there's definitely an incentive to keep it at six minutes per mile average for for the whole time because the math is so easy 18 24 30 36 42 <laughs> <laughs> 10 miles in one hour 15 miles in an hour and a half i mean the, you know the, the the math is just right there so perfect for you um but so here's what's funny though and 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 i talked about this a little bit when when i talked about the the um the dina caster book uh, a couple weeks ago so Two years ago, when I was in the Marine or in the New York City Marathon, in order to try and kind of keep myself out of my own head, in those first few miles, I high fived every kid I could find on the course. Mm-hmm. In that 15k in Tulsa, uh, there was a lot of people from I think it's called Angela's Angels. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Kyle Pease Foundation. Um, it's a push assist um, uh, uh, group. Um, there was a bunch of them in that race and they started before us. And so we were passing them throughout the course of the race and I always cheered for them during the race, you know, good job, Angela, or good job, Scott, or whoever it was that that was there. Um, and not only is that uplifting for me and I think it's a nice thing to do, but, but, um, it kind of keeps me out of my own head. Mm -hmm. And so, so kind of with that in mind, I was like, all right, I'm gonna do the same thing again. Here we go. In Philadelphia, I'm gonna high five every kid I can see. For some, for reason, I didn't see a whole lot of kids. And so I got, though, almost like to a ridiculous degree of interacting with the crowd. Like, I'd see a sign. I'd be like, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, like, anybody that wanted to high-five, I'm high-fiving them. And 90% of the crowd at the Philadelphia Marathon is in the first 10K just because you're going through the middle of the city. Interesting. And and so, so and I'm that's like, ex- almost exactly where you need it. You need the first and the last 10K. Yeah, and l- unless you're unless you're going too hard. Right. Um, but but yeah, I mean, there were so many people in that first 10K, and so I'm like interacting with all of them and high fiving them and all that sort of thing, and just trying to stay out of my own head. And and I was joking like in my own head with the people around me. I was I was like, I'm everybody's favorite guy because we would run past these groups, these crowds, and nobody's cheering. And I'd be like, let's go, let's go. And they'd all, ah, you know, start yeah. cheering. And I was like, I, I was like, all the people that I'm running with are getting people to cheer for them thanks to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm everybody's favorite guy. In fact, I was probably like everybody's most annoying guy. <laughs> <laughs> all the guys I was with were probably like, God, what a clown. Um, um, at about between six and seven miles, we ran, uh, we ran past this choir. This AME church had a choir out front. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it turns out, I read about it afterwards and they were awesome. We went past, I went, whoa, yeah, you know, Uh (laughs) um, and, and I read about them afterwards and this was the first year they had done it. Um, and they had like film of them doing it. And it was funny because they're showing film of them singing and then it pans the runners going by and you see me running by pumping my fist and yelling at them. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, nice, just made runner's world anyway. Um, and so that was super cool. Um, there's really two big hills on the course. One right at the seven mile mark. You go you go up sort of a gradual hill for about a half mile, and then you go down the other side of it. Going down the other side of it, there was this like uh, like circus mannequin thing. This like 15 foot tall man- plastic looking mannequin, and he had this big hand that was about the size of my body. And they're like high fives, and he's like holding out his hand for it. And I was like, I'm totally high fiving that thing. So I ran across the course, go high five, and he hit me in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but Jeez. I mean, but I mean. 
it's it's but it's ridiculous kind of how goofy i'm being because i thought i just thought it was funny yeah um and i was like whoa um and just kind of kept on going but like I, like i said i probably overcorrected a little bit i was probably a little bit too goofy and a little bit too relaxed in the first half and a little bit too annoying to all the people around me um might have even you know boarded in you know, crossed into obnoxious there but uh anyway um uh there's another hill that's actually a steep, tough hill, right at nine miles, um, and and kind of made it up both of those two hill miles, mm-hmm. there miles with hills in them, and was still right at that six minute pace average, and still and didn't feel like I was going to the well, um, and so kind of knew, all right, this is you know where I need to be, and this is where I should be able to run, I should be able to keep this up throughout. We went to mile. 12 mile 12 you run downhill so you get all that downhill back and then you turn this corner and there was this band this group at the corner that were all dressed up in wacky clothes and all that sort of thing and they were playing that song by snap i got the power and i went yeah i got the power (laughs) 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 it was just so ridiculous um so you were a troll for a while oh yeah yeah troll exactly um and uh but but and that was my fastest mile of the whole race, mm-hmm. just because you had that downhill and you had that turn. And I was so fired up by that group that was down there and all that sort of thing. I, I joked with some people afterwards that the twelfth mile of the Philadelphia Marathon is probably my new favorite race mile of all time, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because um, it was so much fun. So anyway, um, at that point, people started getting harder to catch because the group had gotten a lot thinner, you mm-hmm. know. And then in the back half of the race, and, and Philadelphia actually sent us statistics on this. They sent us a program, and it said, this is how many people you caught in the first half of the race. This is how many people you caught in the second half of the race, which was really cool. This is how many people caught you in the second half of the race. Um, and so I caught 13 people in the back half of the race um, and and just kind of steadily kept, kept you know, passing people. I uh, went through halfway right about 118.20, um, so a little bit under six-minute pace. Um, I saw... Adam Heiser and Michael Trumbo at mile 14. Um, and I ended up running pretty fast because I saw them and got fired up seeing them. Um, at mile 19, was I was fully one minute under six-minute pace. Mm-hmm. So so 19 miles, it should have been 154 would be six-minute pace. Mm-hmm. And I was like 152.58 or yeah. something like that. So it was the first mile, and so I had a full minute. And so so my mental game at that point, because at that point, after, you know, 60 or 70 miles, it's, it's starting to get serious. Right. Like, I, I wasn't yelling at people anymore at that point. Um, and um, um, my mental game became, okay, let me let me keep that minute. Let me keep that minute. And so go through 20. Still keeping that minute. 21. St- okay, still got it more than a minute or six minutes. So, and I ended up keeping it until about mile 23 or 24. I kept it more than a minute under six-minute pace, mm-hmm. um, which was good. Um, mile 25 ended up being my slowest mile of the race. It was about 6.15. Um, and at that point, it was kind of interesting. The, the, the Philadelphia Marathon, unfortunately, I was ready for this. I knew it because I looked at it a lot. I looked at the course map. You do a half marathon, and then the, the back half of the race, you basically run out to Manioc and come back. It's an out and back. And so as we're running out, the leaders of the race are coming back. Mm-hmm. And then as we're coming back, all the other people in the race are going out. And so I actually started looking for my sister, thinking that, okay, maybe she'll be going out as I'm coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, not looking too hard because um, I didn't want to get too distracted by it. Yeah. But then I could see, like, the pace groups and, like, the four-hour pace group went by, and I knew that she wanted to run about 4.15. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I knew basically generally about where she would be. Ultimately, I didn't, didn't end up seeing her. She ran 4.27, which is a PR for her, so I was psyched about that for her. But um, but but ended up not being able to get to see her along the way. But, uh, but anyway, so so – you kind of had that out and back. The hard, the hardest mental part of the course for me 
was that you got onto that out and back and you passed by the 15 mile mark mm -hmm. and then a few steps later you passed by the 25 mile mark um and i was like all right and and, and you see the 25 mile mark on the other side of the road and you know in 10 miles which is not short which is mm -hmm. you know a pretty decent amount of time here you know pretty long distance in 10 miles you're going to be at that 25 mile mark and you're going to be hurting pretty bad mm -hmm. um and so that that was the only kind of mentally tough time for me mm -hmm. um fortunately i had i'd spent so much time thinking about that out and back that i was ready for it mentally um but i think if i hadn't or like you know worst case scenario if i literally didn't know what the, what the course involved at all and i'd seen that it might have really really gotten to me um but i knew that was what it was going to be um so yeah i uh kind of come up towards the finish out kicked a guy which almost never happens <laughs> um, for those so, of you who so. are marathoners that's that's a term from like running a 5k on the track where you sprint the final 200 meters or so right on yeah so i was i was catching a guy all throughout the 26th mile and didn't figure i was going to catch him because he still had probably 25 yards on me and then and then the finish line came into sight and and i was able to speed up and, mm -hmm. and caught him and out kicked him um and ran 23705 Mm -hmm. So, like I said, 237 to 243 was my goal. I ran 237.05. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll take it. Um, my goal was top 50, uh, and I finished 47th. <laughs> um, my goal was, was top five in my age group. I finished third. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I'll take it. guy who won my age group ran like 225 or something Yeah, as a 41-year-old. As a um, and then second place was like 232, and then there was me at 237. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so pretty incredible. Um, some pretty amazing runs there from those people in front of me. So, yeah, psyched about that. So what was your big takeaway from the race itself? We talked about how kind of your big lesson learned from the training cycle was just how important it is to run by feel and to really write your, your training schedule in pencil, not in pen, yeah. right? So what was your That's big takeaway from, from the race itself? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's I, I would say it's something similar, actually, um, that, you know, and I – Every race that I've ever run well, I mean, literally every race I've ever run well, I, I've run it largely by feel. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's true for a 5K, that's true for a 10K. It was true for that Tulsa 15K that was my tune-up race for this marathon. I mean, every single race that I've ever run well, I've run by feel. Um, every single race that I've ever run badly, it's because I've gotten too hung up on what my time should be, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and... and um, and it's just applying that to the marathon. Mm -hmm. It's it's just saying, all right, get as fit as you can, um, do what's smart in terms of tapering and staying healthy and sleeping and resting and eating and all that stuff, and then and then go out and and do what the day gives you. Um, and that's what I did, and it worked out pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, and so so yeah, that's my big takeaway from it. And it's and it's again, it's one of those things I knew. Um, but you just have to, you know, I. I at 25 years, you have to relearn a lot of lessons, mm -hmm. you know? Ain't that the truth? Um, and so so it was just kind of relearning that old lesson, I think. Um, I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you, man? That's interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll tell you, too, from, from kind of watching and tracking you, it was it was interesting to see because by about, I mean, the 10K mark or so, we, for those of us tracking you, we knew that you were kind of in the zone and, and enjoying it. Um, so that was, that was a lot of fun, especially after you had such a tough race last year. Yeah. It, it felt good to kind of track and, and kind of see your, your efforts kind of come to fruition, so to speak. Yeah. So I ran the California international marathon last week. Um, mm -hmm. 
And before we, I talk about my race, I do want to talk a little bit about the CIM itself and kind of yeah. what the atmosphere was like. Because that really does kind of play into how my race turned out and kind of what my race story was. And even and even why you chose that race in the first place. Exactly. So yeah. I, I actually can start there and say the reason I even chose this race is I was going there specifically to run fast. Um, I just, I had had a few races in a row, which as we've discussed before, I don't know if we've discussed on the podcast, but at least we talked about in runs where like last year, Chicago marathon, it was like 73 degrees and humid at the start. And you're like, okay, well this was, this was a lot of training for it to end up being warm. You know, Boston was kind of a rough weather week or rough (laughs) weather race. Kind (laughs) of. Um, and I mean, it had been like two plus years of like, holy cow, I cannot seem to get a good weather day. Mm -hmm. And then Sacramento honestly just has just always has very consistent weather. Um, wildfires aside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I picked this one. And it also is, you know, is a race that kind of has a very, very um, flat profile. It is a race where it, it's a net downhill, but it's also not screaming downhill. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, I really want to run a race where I feel like I can get a PR. So I was kind of doing the PR chase. kind of. Yeah. So a different set of goals from you, where you were your, your goals were a bit more based on, you know, I'm running this race because my sister wants to run it, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I was much more focused on the time itself, yeah. or on the kind of the, the PR itself. So to tell you a little bit about CIM and kind of what it looked and felt like this year, it really is kind of a perfect blend of a race. And I, and I can say this definitively now. You know, I read about it online beforehand, but can say it, it's, say it now. Because it has very gentle downhills. Mm-hmm. It, this is not one of those races like the... Um, the revel races where you're screaming 5,000 feet right. downhill right. and then you it, either PR or end up in the ER. I mean, it's, it loses, it loses about 350 feet over the course of the entire course, which is, Not I mean, that's like what 15 feet per mile. I mean, it's yeah. like nothing. Right. And I can tell you too, as someone training in Atlanta, mm-hmm. what they call hills are not hills. They're just yeah. like slight changes in grade. I mean, yeah. it, it was perfect. It was like, like almost like a less than 1% grade downhill um and then in addition to all to being net downhill it had kind of the perfect number of uphill too mm-hmm. so you had a great distribution of muscle activation because you would you know almost run 200 meters downhill then run 100 meters slightly slightly uphill right. but something that someone from atlanta wouldn't even consider a hill right. wouldn't call a hill here um in georgia was so, it was it um because an athlete that I coach and that you know also ran it, and she she just raved about it as well, and she had a really mm-hmm. good race there too. Um, mm-hmm. And and she talked, she said something similar that the downhills were enough to kind of give you a little bit of a boost, mm-hmm. and but but you had those uphills to break it up. Mm-hmm. But anybody who runs in a hilly area like we do would not consider them really uphills. Yeah, the way I like to say it is, you never even on the uphills, you didn't have to change your gears. You didn't have to change gears at all. It was kind of, and it's almost hard to explain because it was just such a neutral uphill that you didn't almost feel like you were running uphill. You felt like you were running on flat, but then also got a little bit of the relief from running downhill. Mm -hmm. So it it was really was kind of a perfect blend. Like almost if you tried to draw it up in a lab, it was a a great terrain. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like the Silver Comet Trail, right? I mean, have have you run on the Silver Comet Trail before? Once or twice. Okay. Silver Comet Trail has like... Because it used to be, it used to be a, a a train. It's rails to trails. Yeah. And so you obviously don't have big uphills and big steep short uphills on a train track, right? <laughs> that would be a problem. <laughs> yes. And so and so so it has some extremely gradual uphills and downhills. But the first time you go out there, you won't know about them. You you'll think it's all flat. Mm-hmm. And it's only after you've been there a few times and and realized, oh wait, I always slow down a little bit right here. Oh wait, it's because it's one half percent uphill for 
three quarters of a mile. That sounds um, about right. Yeah. Yeah. So like your your mile time at CIM is not going to be perfectly consistent, like it might mm-hmm. be at Chicago, mm-hmm. but it's it doesn't feel like you're ever running up. You never okay. have to dig deep. You never hit a heartbreak hill or a cardiac mm-hmm. hill. So so the the back half of Philadelphia, that out and back that I was talking mm-hmm. about, it's like that. Mm-hmm. It's 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 kind of like the Silver Comet Trail. You literally just kind of run, and you have very gradual ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you notice them towards the end, particularly the downs. At least I did because my quads are so beaten up. But but yeah, not so much that that it's really going to change your effort level or or something that that. Not so much that your splits are going to be wildly different from mile to mile. Right. Um, all right, cool. So it, it's, it's like I said, it's great for people who, who live in hill areas. I could see why somebody who's maybe training in Indiana might be a little surprised because they look at the net downhill and just think it's going to be all downhill and get a little surprised by the uphills. Yeah. But I can tell you, being from Atlanta and talking to other Atlanta area runners who've run it, it, it really did not feel like uphills at all. And it's also kind of t- t- and, the, and the downhill is distributed throughout the whole race, right? Yes. It's not like it's not like you run flat for 15 miles and then you run down 350 feet over the course of two miles and then you run flat for the remainder either. Correct. Which would not be all that fast. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the first reason why it's such a fast race is the, the gentle hills. The second we've already talked about this a little bit is the weather. Not only is it nice and cool, but honestly, it's just very consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to kind of to, to, to give you an, an idea. Um, so the Chicago Marathon is obviously a very flat, fast course, you know, with a lot of fast runners, but the weather is very hit or miss, right? So for yeah. example, the year we ran it, you know, in 2017, it was over 70 degrees with like 85% humidity. Right. Um, and this year it wasn't necessarily hot, but there was like a driving rain because yeah. you're right on the lakes. So you, you can get some heavy rain. And since 2007, temperatures in Chicago have exceeded 70 degrees six times. Mm-hmm. And four of those times, it was over 80. Yeah. So One of those times is when they literally canceled the race in the middle of the race because it got so hot. Right. So yeah. Chicago, I've run it twice. Once, I got the beautiful Chicago weather. One time, it was you know over 70. And that's kind of how Chicago is. But CIM's weather is very, very consistent. You know, the, the average high is like 60-something degrees, low 60s over the past 10 years, and there's not much variation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a second big reason why it's such a fast race and right it, it's on. such a, a, a great race to run. And then kind of third and finally, and this was something I was not quite prepared for. It didn't something I didn't appreciate until I got there is there is a huge collection of dedicated runners right. running the CIM. Right. I mean, if, if you think about it, nobody goes to Sacramento as a destination marathon, <laughs> you know, <laughs> You don't want to take a tour of the state capitol and, I don't know. Or the train museum. Um, <laughs> I mean, they are there to run fast. Yeah. And so it, the race itself is almost an homage to kind of the sub-elite yeah. kind of neighborhood 5K winner. Yeah. Who is, you know, they're not training with shoe-sponsored deals or anything, but they are rolling through their turkey trot on Saturday after working in an office all day on Friday. Right. I mean, the race is just absolutely flooded with people in that 230 to 245 range. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, too, kind of like what I was talking about where everybody is there to run fast, the starting line is different than like a Boston or a Chicago because I can tell you everybody at the starting line was like, I am here to run fast and run fast only. I'm not here. Like, this is not like I qualify for Boston. I've been trying for 10 years, and now I'm just happy to be here. It's like, no, no, I'm not happy to be here. I want to get after it today. Mm-hmm. So it was a very kind of um, – focus starting line i mean it was a, actually a much more intense atmosphere than than a boston or, or a chicago which was something i didn't expect but then when you get there you 
very quickly realized, no, everybody here is here to run fast. Everybody's wearing the vapor flies. Yeah. Um, no one's kind of cutting up. Everyone's there, like, talking about their goals and kind of figuring out, all right, I'm going to run with you. I'm going to run with you. If you're going to run this, let's run together. Let's stick together. Let's see what we can do here. Okay, so honest question. So so kind of tying back to what I talked about. So Goofy George in the first 10 miles of CIM, how would that go over? Uh, so there was definitely some of that. Um, I, I would say it would not go over well simply because, so also to tell you a little bit about Sacramento, it's point to point. Mm-hmm. So you're driven 26 miles outside of Sacramento right. to a town called Folsom, mm-hmm. and there's very little crowd support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't say that as a, as a slight to, to CIM. It is a world-class marathon in every way, shape, or form. But you're out running in rural California. I mean, you're running right. past horse farms. Like you're running. There's a prism in Folsom. Yeah. Where where, uh, where where Johnny Cash famously recorded an album. Exactly. Um, and like you're literally just running in front of, and people are just kind of standing out in their front yard. Like, who are these people? Mm-hmm. It's it's it, very similar to Boston, where you're just kind of running in front of people's front yards. Yeah. And except for the fact, except for like in Boston, everyone knows about it, and they set up tables and everything. Mm-hmm. This is like just a family out there with like their camcorder or something. Like what the <laughs> heck is going on here? Um, so, I mean, the first 10 miles are actually pretty quiet. Mm. You'll see a collection of people, like maybe a neighborhood will get together and say, Hey, let's all, you know, meet and have coffee, you know, at the, the entrance of our neighborhood. If you run by, you know, like a subdivision. Yeah. But for the most part, you're the only thing you can see in here are other runners. Mm-hmm. So it really makes for a very different starting atmosphere um, in a way that I didn't appreciate or didn't expect until you get there. And you're like, well, this is pretty... I almost have to remind myself I'm running a marathon here. Hmm. Um, so now what did kind of make it also a little different is, I will tell you too, I started out at about 2.45 pace. And the only reason I tell you that is that is the Olympic qualifying time for the women. Yeah. So I was surrounded by very intense <laughs> athletes who were like going for the gold. Um, right. And so I, so when I would see people, it would be, like I said, locals who were just kind of standing out in their front yard cheering as you went by um, and potentially didn't even know how far a marathon was. Right. And, and then it was like coaches, like a Pete Ray or someone who's like focused, you know, and kind of shouting instructions and kind of that, that kind of a, an atmosphere. Right. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that, actually, because it was kind of nice to have. Um, and like I should say, too, like you. The first five to ten miles, everyone's very relaxed, right? No one's, you know, um, trying to PR in the ten mile, obviously. Right. But it is just, it's just quieter. It's really more of the sound than anything else mm-hmm. um, that was so different. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, and, and the and the vapor flies make a weird squishy sound on the ground. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine you're probably hearing a lot of that squishy weird sound. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, that yeah. was really about the only sound there was. Yeah. Um, I mean, every now and again, like a farm animal would make a sound and that's about <laughs> it. I mean, really that was about it. Or yeah. like, like I said, a family would say something, um, like I heard a mom, like she was like holding her little daughter and said something like, look, all these people are running a race. <laughs> and then the, the daughter kind of class classically, she said, well, where's the finish? <laughs> like, it's out of sight, sweetie. Yeah, like, it's, it's about <laughs> 20 miles that way. Um, so kind of rather than feeling like a pro race where, you know, there's a lot of like Nike, you know, emblems everywhere, like a Chicago or a Bank of America emblem everywhere. You know, the race really kind of felt like just a very intense amateur race. And I don't use the word amateur lightly. What I really mean is just, um, you know, kind of group of people who, you know, like I said, they were probably working all week and then flew out to Sacramento on Friday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is their big chance to kind of 
be an at, you know a star athlete in their own right. There was a piece in Outside Online that was talking about it, and it and it said something to the effect that that the CIM is like the apotheosis of the amateur athlete, mm-hmm. um, and and it said this is all the people who will eviscerate your local turkey trot. Um, <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, um, and then and then and they're all kind of coming together at one race in California, which is. I don't know. I, I, you know, you're having run it and the athlete that I coach having run it. I was kind of like, yeah, I might want to run this in a few years. Now I'm thinking like, maybe I want to run this next year, <laughs> you know, but, but it might not be the same next year. And we'll talk about why that is in just a second. But anyway, keep going. Um, so that, yeah, those were my big take. My three real big takeaways were the course itself was amazing in terms of it being, like I said, it, if I had to kind of overgeneralize, it was 200 meters gentle downhill. 100 meters gentle uphill just mm-hmm. over and over again mm-hmm. with with like one semi sharp turn mm-hmm. the rest was totally flat straightforward i mean next to so you were not kind of having to, to stop and start or anything of that nature mm-hmm. um so that was a big reason why it was such a great race the weather itself was just beautiful um obviously we had to scare with the the wildfires out there but luckily it rained about a week prior to the race so we realized we could actually indeed go fly out there and run the race and then last but not least was just the the intensity of the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and it actually kind of made for a very interesting start because I'll give a warning to anybody who runs this race. When the the crowds are kind of hard to, to, to navigate because they don't have, they don't s- sort you before the race. You have to s- sort yourself. And then I was, I was kind of trying to find where I needed to be. And you'll see that they start at about 3.15 or 3.30. And it got mobbed quickly. And I was like, where the heck do I need to be? And I see that there's a seated section. So I was like, I'm going to try my hand here and just say, hey, this is what I run. Is that seated? And they said, oh, yeah, this is just sub three hours. So if you ever run, if you see seated, don't worry. That doesn't mean you have to be, you know, sub 220 or anything. This is not like the elite or what we would consider seated at Peachtree. Um, so, did, so did they have corrals? They, their corrals were almost like your neighborhood 5k where it's it's just a sign that says if you think you're doing 330 start here but no one validated it you you didn't you didn't your number didn't say a b c or d or anything of that nature Hmm. so that's the other thing too is since it was um self-seated you had to be there you had to kind of be on the starting line earlier than usual because once it filled up like once the top crowd or two filled up you almost would find yourself back with the four hour group because 330 would i mean it just it all filled up quickly right um and it wasn't a very big road Mm-hmm. Um, for for ten thousand people, and also I just think since there were so many fast runners, the crowds probably just need to be a little bit bigger or a little bit wider to kind of fit all the people for each yeah. individual crowd. Yeah. Um. So that's my one big warning for anybody who ever runs that race. But but overall, it was a phenomenal race. They did such a good job. Uh. They they just did so many little things to make it easier on the runners themselves. Like they had, I mean, the runner to portageon ratio was probably like two to one. <laughs> I mean, it was like. The easiest I've ever seen, and then secondly, when you when you get on the bus and drive out to Sacramento or out to the start, excuse me, they let you stay on the bus until the start of the race if you wanted. That's cool. So you don't have to worry about like a Boston where you're on your feet for several hours, kind of hanging out in Athletes Village and and freezing if it's you know cold outside. Or like or New York or even Philadelphia. Right. Um, which made it just emotionally so much easier to be like I'm just gonna chat here with my friend that I met on the bus until. 6 30 and then not even have to think too much about the race until 20 30 minutes beforehand right on so tell us about your race yeah so my race um it's it, so it's interesting last you, what, what, what was you okay well let's let's back it up to your build and everything first mm-hmm. of all because because your build wasn't flawless 
No. And 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 frankly, I was actually super impressed you ran as well as you did, given the way that the the last four or five weeks of your of your your training cycle went. Yeah. So 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 take us back a little bit. So I'll. That, that's a great point. I'm glad you bring that up. So first of all, I signed up for this race about this time last year, I, I believe, yeah. where I was like, all right, I want to run fast. I want to really focus on this race. And for my whole goal for 2018 was just to run a fast Sacramento race. Yeah. And I, and I really kind of trained through my Boston Marathon in, in the spring. And I really said, all right, the first three to four months of the year, like training for Boston, I'm just going to be putting in mileage. Mm-hmm. And, and it was almost exclusively easy days with a few tempo runs thrown in there, but just mm-hmm. a lot of medium long runs and long runs. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't hardly taper for the Boston Marathon. Just said we're going to run it like a race. We're going to get you know one more marathon under my belt to get the race experience, and that ended up working out perfectly because it wasn't a PR day anyway. Right. So it's right. It worked out great. Right. And then summer. Um, well, okay. So so real quick, we 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 are remiss in in not mentioning that. The CIM for the past two years, this year and last year, has been the U.S. National Marathon Championships for pros. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so last year, um, um, I think there's a lot. And the reason why I bring it up is because I think a lot of people did what you did. Because mm-hmm. they saw last year, they saw the times that were run there last year. And they, and they saw that it was going to be the U.S. Marathon Championships again this year. And they said, I want to be a part of that next year. And so, right. so, so last year, it was fast. And there was a lot of Olympic trials qualifiers. This year, it was overwhelming. 99 women uh, qualified for the Olympic trials at CIM alone. Uh, 53 men qualified for the Olympic trials in Atlanta at CIM alone. Um, 265 women ran under three hours. <laughs> 265 women ran under three hours. Um, uh, 164 men went under 230. Yeah. Um, and, and, it's, and that's incredible. You know, the, the, the density at the front part of the field. You know, we always kind of talk about the pointy end of the field. That's not even really pointy. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's like it's like blunt. It completely messes the whole whole metaphor up. But, yeah, that's, that's an incredible number of people packed in at the very, very front of the race. And so I think a lot of people did the same thing you did, is my point. A I, lot of I, people signed up a year ago. Absolutely. And, you know, just and even to even kind of. To, to hone in on that point even more, you mentioned the stats about 265 women running under three hours and 164 men running under 230. Just to kind of also compare some races, in 2017, the 100th place finisher at CIM was 229. Mm-hmm. 229, and he finished in 100th right. place. Right. The 100, 100th place finishers at New York and Boston were 237 and 235. Right. That's a big difference. Yeah. And honestly, as you get further and further down, from like 100 to 3 or 400, then the difference is even bigger because yeah. you just have so many people in those 230s mm-hmm. or so that are trying to um, get their fast time in. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah. So, so, I mean, and, and spoiler alert, you ran 238. Mm-hmm. Your first time under 240. What place were you? Oh, I don't even know. It, it was it was like 350 or something. <laughs> I mean, it was it was something like that, though. Right. Um, I, don't, I don't remember, and it, but it, it, was, it was not, you were not close to the front. Yeah, it, it, Ad, I saw Adam Heiser, uh, a fellow coach at, at track on Tuesday, and like, of course, he's all energy at five a.m. Right. or, or five thirty or whatever we, time we meet, and he's like, "Man, you weren't even top ten in your age group with a two thirty eight. Give the guy a break." I was like, "Yeah, yeah. this is not a race to place." Well, you, wait, and you, not, not only were you not top ten, 
you like were not even top fifty in your age group. Yeah. Yeah, and you mean yeah, like like top ten. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but but I mean, but 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 let's contrast that. I mean, like I said, my I I was trying to finish top five in Philadelphia. It's not like it's a little small marathon. Yeah. I was trying to finish top five. I I ran two thirty seven and finished forty seventh overall. Two thirty seven wouldn't have even been the forty seventh woman in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I there was only one woman at at, at, at Philadelphia that beat me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. So yeah, I mean it's it's the density at the front of the field is incredible, and mm-hmm. so and but that's why you went though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you also brought a good point. It 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 wasn't just a lot of fast men; it was a lot of fast women too. Yeah. Honestly, I ran. I, I don't, I don't want to say against because I don't feel like I'm a, like against other runners in a marathon, mm-hmm. but I was around more women than men, yeah. no doubt about it, the, from start to finish. Yeah. Um, because I was like I said, I was in that sweet spot of people trying to qualify. Yeah. For the for the trials, you know, right. and hit somewhere between two thirty five and two forty four, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it 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 really changed kind of the atmosphere in in so many ways, right. um, and just like you said, I saw it last year. I saw all the great times the Atlanta Track Club people put up because mm-hmm. they went there last year specifically to qualify, um, for the Olympic trials, and they had four people qualify for the trials last year, um, and I believe they had two more this year, but I can't mm-hmm. confirm that, yeah, um, and so I thought, well, I want to do this race. So, I, like I said, to kind of get back to kind of my my build, so I kind of set a plan and said I'm not going to have a, a marathon training cycle of of six months like what I've been doing. I'm going to have a full year to train for this one. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just I, I took periodization a bit more to the extreme. Um, like I said, just put in a lot of easy mileage January through April, then did a lot of speed work, um, kind of May through August to kind of start to kind of build up speed, and then layered on speed that more mileage onto that speed from about August through October or so, and th- and then yep. taper in November. And then you kind of also, as you pointed out, it, it did not go well towards the end because, unfortunately, I had started to suffer from bronchitis in the month of November. Um, and to, to give folks kind of some insight, about a week before the race, I went to the doctor. They measured my lung capacity. It was at about 81% of, compared to my baseline. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was a, a real struggle um, in the final four weeks of training i decided i i needed to not put any more stress on my lungs so no track workouts no tempo runs no long runs even and i just had to do about one hour easy runs once per week just to kind of keep um some of the same kind of bone density and and muscle strength and tendon strength that you get from the easy running because that's something that starts to fade a little bit after about seven days so that's why i was doing it once a week or so to kind of just kind of just to simply keep from losing it more yeah. so than to actually build anything. So it was, you were in the Athens half marathon, the Athens, Georgia half marathon. Was that five weeks out? Something like that. It was mid October. So yeah, so, yeah I, five, I think it was five. Weeks it, wasn't it the same week, week that I ran in Tulsa? That sounds right. Yeah, yes. yeah that's right. Um, and so, so, um, so it was five weeks out mm-hmm. and then you had one good week of training after that, which mm-hmm. took you down to four weeks out and then you got sick. Yeah. So so from four weeks out until the actual marathon, you ran probably six times. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and and all six of them were easy runs. Yes. Yeah. And so so yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. I talked to you before the race, and I was like, "What's your goal?" And you're like, "Well, I think I'm ready to go under 240." And I was like, "All right." <laughs> <laughs> um, just because 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 I just did, I I just thought that it was it was crappy. I mean, it was bad luck for you, but I was just like, you know what? He hasn't been able to run for four weeks. I mean, his lungs have been all messed up. There's, there's no way he's going to be able to go out there and really run all that well. Mm-hmm. And, and that, and that sucks. That's too bad. 
I'm glad he had a good race in Athens, but but it looks like you know this is just kind of going to be a bust, and he's going to have to try and reload and run some other fast mm-hmm. race, break two forty some other time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not how it went. Yeah, um, and and I think there are several things that kind of saved me from going overboard. One, for those of you who maybe have never suffered from asthma or bronchitis, the big thing is to never cross the line, so to speak, yeah. and for the lungs to start swelling. Because once that happens, you're like walking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to kind of go out slow. Like I said, go out significantly slower than kind of my goal marathon pace. And I do think too. I, I had I, I think I honestly think I had I did get on some medication, taking inhalers and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think if I had just run a week and a half prior, I might have been in real trouble. Mm-hmm. And it and it, I was just lucky enough that I got just slightly better enough for, from a lung capacity perspective mm-hmm. to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and also if it were like a five k, I'd have been dead in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it, it unfortunately added some drama, some late drama towards the <laughs> towards the end. You're like you're kidding me! I've had such a great build, and yeah, you know, I've been training for this for a year. Like, yeah, a year with almost no um, hiccups, and then of course the hiccup comes, you know, right before the race. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it it went well. Um, some some kind of key takeaways that that I had, kind of just to start off, is I obviously did not want to take that extreme of a taper, but it, it really does highlight what we talk about all the time on this podcast where it's not about what you did last week. It's not about what you did last month. It's about what have you been doing for the last two years, for the last six months. Yeah. Um, just like when you talked about your big takeaway with sleep was to get good sleep the month leading up to the race yeah. from a running perspective, from a training perspective, it's not about how great was your last long run. Cause yeah. mine was non-existent. Mm-hmm. It was how great have your long runs been consistently for several months. Yeah. No, that's an excellent point. You know, we've talked about tapering and recovery and stuff like that on previous podcasts. And I remember we talked about, in particular, a group of swimmers who were Olympic-level swimmers mm-hmm. who would taper for seven weeks and would be able to maintain their fitness for seven weeks throughout a taper. And they would do that when they were they would swim the trials, then swim the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's incredible. Seven weeks is a long time. You know, seven weeks from now, I plan to be in much different shape than I am right now. Yeah. <laughs> and... and um, and the idea that you could actually begin tapering for something and maintain your fitness over the course of seven weeks, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to wrap your mind around. But, I mean, I think you just kind of demonstrated that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you effectively had a really, really sharp taper uh, for a month. Yeah. Um, and and I hadn't run at gold marathon pace in a month. Yeah. I hadn't done one single mile at that yeah. pace. Yeah. And, and, and yet you were able to go in and, and, and you still were fit. You had you hadn't lost a bunch of fitness. Mm-hmm. I think you probably lost some. I think it's fair to say you lost some. Okay. Yeah. Um. But but um. But yeah, not nearly the fo- the, the the amount that I was afraid you had lost. <laughs> yeah. Same, um, brother. <laughs> yeah. Um. But but so so despite the fact that you say you say you were actually scared that you had lost some fitness, you still aggressive is not quite the right word but you still said you know what i i set out to run under 240 and this is gonna be my my first time under and and that's what i'm gonna do and you set out to do that and you did it yeah and honestly i did not make that decision until thursday before the race Mm -hmm. um because i did a medium long run which once again is not ideal but i just had to stick to that like once a week Mm -hmm. um kind of mantra and just because I couldn't go two weeks of not running before the race. Yeah. And I said, I'm just going to run my field. I, I am not going to look at my watch. I actually flipped it down so I couldn't see it if I tried to look down. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to try to run it the same effort I always do. And I have one route that I just do over and over at least once a week mm-hmm. in my neighborhood, which is very hilly. And I just, I know every nook and cranny. I know I, I take the exact same turns, et cetera. And when I got done, I ran it about the same as I always do off the same field. So I thought, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. 
Um, let's start out a little more conservatively than usual, just just to be safe. And then mm-hmm. that was kind of the one big takeaway. Because when I tried to do that, that was the, I thought the closest thing I could do to to kind of have a test run, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do a track workout and then mm-hmm. end up wheezing or kind of adding to the problem. Right. right. So yeah, uh, it it worked out. It's you know, everyone's asked me about the race, and I always say, you know, it's a lot more fun when it works out than when it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, that, it sounds so simple, but it, it just, yeah. you know, it for makes sure. for a much shorter plane ride on the on the way home. Um, <laughs> and I was fortunate that I knew it was going to work out about five miles in. Yeah. Um, kind of like where you talked about, where you knew, I think, a mile three or so, like, this is yeah. going to be a fun race. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, no, it's, you know, I, I joked about this when we were talking about our favorite races a few weeks ago, that, that yeah, I'm bound to say that New York City is one of my favorite races, and I'm bound to not put Chicago on one of my favorite races list, because I had a good race in New York City and not so good race mm-hmm. in Chicago, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and so, so would I put Philadelphia in my favorite races list? I probably wouldn't, um, um, even though I really enjoyed it, and I'm glad I went and everything, Um but, uh, but yeah, I definitely have nothing but good things to say about it in large part because I had a good race there, Yeah, you know, and, and, um, had I not had a good race there or, you know, had I, um, had I crumbled in that back half, the out and back, I'd probably be much more likely to be like, Oh, that out and back at the end, that's terrible. They need to fix that. You know, but, but I was like, Hey, it's cool, man. It worked out pretty well. I got to see all the crowd and they all cheered for us when we were coming in that direction, you know, that's true. So, you end up so, like blaming the yellow Gatorade. Yeah, they had blue yeah. Gatorade out of PR. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't believe they had clocks at every mile. You know, yeah, ridiculous. Um, um, Who uses the metric system? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we should probably mention here, since we've been talking about CIM, uh, and we mentioned it was the pro race. Um, uh, the winner of the of the pro women's race was Emma Bates, um, and second place was Stephanie Bruce, who uh, won the Peachtree Road race this year. Um, and then third place was an amateur, a full-time nurse, Sam Rucker. Um, she ran an eight minute PR and ran two thirty uh, and finished third of the U S marathon championship. So, um, there was one thing that was kind of pointed out by that article and outside the online that I was talking about this is like, you know, the temple of, of amateur runners. Um, that's, you know, an amateur runner finishes third. Um, and that's pretty incredible at the U S marathon championships. Uh, the men's race, um, uh, a, Matt, uh, a runner that I really like named Matt Yano, um, who runs for Hoka, had, uh, originally was running for the Northern Arizona Hoka team uh, and kind of a, a split with them. Um, but uh, he basically took the lead at about a mile and just ran away from the whole crowd and was just out front and ran 26 miles solo. And literally at about the 26-mile mark, he got caught. Um, by a guy named Brogan Austin, um, and both Brogan Austin and Matt Yano ran 212, um, and uh, and Brogan Austin, who Brogan, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, he uh, was a standout at Iowa, um, but uh, he won his first uh, national championship in the marathon um, uh, uh, by running 212 there. Uh, third place was a Zap Fitness runner, Josh Zuski. Um, so congrats to him. They actually had a really good day, didn't they? They had a great day, actually. I mean, they had, what, five people uh, qualify for the trials? Yeah. In addition to the two that qualified in, in 2017? Yeah. So that, yeah. that's a fantastic day. Yeah, both men and women, as a matter of fact. So, yeah, they had they had a really good day. I was I was psyched for them. Um, and then Pete Ray was out there. Did you actually see Pete while you were there? 
I saw him on the race course, okay. um, but I didn't see him afterwards at the kind of get together. Very good, very good. So, so congrats to all of them, uh, and of course, needless to say, congrats to the 99 women and 53 men who qualify for the Olympic trials here in Atlanta. Um, I was talking to Josh Glass about this a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. um, and he said that he had been talking to Rich Kana, uh, the director of the Atlanta Track Club, and. The Olympic trials in Atlanta are now much larger than they expected them to be. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're expecting many more people now, um, you know, 40 to 50 percent more people than they were originally expecting, which means oh boy. Uh, which means more medical staff, you know, more volunteers on course. And the Atlanta Track Club actually is part of their bid to get the Olympic trials said we will pay the way to get here for anybody who makes the trial standard A or B standard. And so, <laughs> and so that commitment just became significantly larger. <laughs> yeah, so let's hope that Mizuno sponsorship is going well. Um, but uh, but anyway, so so yeah, um, uh, very cool race, and, uh, and and glad that you got to take part. Now, like I said, I'm thinking about doing it next year. I don't know because because next year, you know, since they have the Olympic trials only a couple months later, it's not going to be the U.S. Marathon Championship next year. Um, and so I wonder whether that sub elite, the, the people who run around two thirty, mm-hmm. um, and people say, say people who run between two twenty five and two thirty five. I wonder if that group is also going to show up Yeah. just because the people who run under two nineteen are not going to be there. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's a great question. If we just took away the people that qualified for the trials, men and women, mm-hmm. you still would have. 200 people right you know in in that kind of range so to speak. right yeah i mean like we said 265 women ran under three hours um 99 of them ran under 245 so that still leaves a hundred and more than 150 women running under three hours right you know which is still by any standard an incredible number of women running under three hours at a single marathon <laughs> yeah you know and so, so but i wonder if the, those women who who run say 255 Mm-hmm. Are the 255 women still going to show up, knowing that all the woman, women who run under 245 aren't going to be there because all those women are going to be at the Olympic trials? I don't know. That's the million dollar question we'll have to find out next year. Yeah, right on. So, so that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out when I'm thinking about okay, do I want to do it next year or what? So, so we'll see. We'll see. I I would highly recommend it to anybody who's looking to run a fast time. Right on. And and Patrick, as we're sitting here uh, recording, he's wearing the CIM shirt and it's pretty fresh. I got to mm-hmm. say. Um, the Philadelphia shirt had Rocky on it, which is pretty damn cool too. <laughs> I'm uh, shocked. Yeah, yeah. All right, Patrick. Any final words? No, I'm glad that the, that the race turned out great for you. Um, Ditto, man. Glad it turned I, out great for you. It, it, it felt so good to kind of track. It, it, it's funny when you're tracking other people, you're almost just as nervous as when you're running it. Right. Because when you're running it, you get started, and about three, four miles in, you kind of have a feel for how the race is going to go. Yeah. Um, but when you're tracking, you're just kind of like holding your breath, like, okay, it says right. he's running well, but. Is he like sprinting to reach his race yeah. time, or is this is he slapping giant hands or whatever, um, <laughs> or getting slapped by or getting them. <laughs> slapped by giant hands to, to get to that time? So yeah. it, it's it was it was a fun experience to kind of track, and and it, it it's it's always much more fun when it works out. Just like I said, it, even for for your training partners, it it feels good to see them have a good race and to be able to come home and kind of proud of what they did and what they accomplished. For sure. Yeah. Whenever I'm tracking somebody, it's like every time a new 5k comes up and it's on pace again, I'm like, yes. Another one comes up. Yes. You know, yeah. another one, yes. I mean, and, and that's really the way it feels. It's like, um, I was telling somebody, it's like, it's like when you're watching your team 
mm-hmm. like the Atlanta United who won the MLS Cup last night. When you're watching your team and they're playing well and they get another goal and then another goal, I mean, that's kind of what it feels like. You know, mm-hmm. they're scoring touchdown after touchdown, home run after home run. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that's really what it feels like to track somebody who's running a good race. Yeah. Um, it's super exciting. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. That's the way I felt watching you, man. Okay. <laughs> good to hear. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, everybody. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed our race reports. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions about Philadelphia or CIM. See you next time. And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. Once again, you can reach out to me, George, at george at itlcoaching.com. You can reach out to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com. You can send us an email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, at itlcoaching on Twitter, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. Finally, of course, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and on Instagram, instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hey, we're recording, fellas. So, so, and 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 and, and so we probably need to. to you want to say something? Hello. <laughs> I so it was pretty loud, buddy. It was pretty loud. Take my word for it. Yeah. Okay, okay. Can you do it real quick, too? Hello. Hi. Goodbye. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. All right, fellas. Watch where you step here. Watch where you step. Watch that cord. All right, all right. Be careful with your zoom.